Hello, and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and you love creating stories, or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. I am Lisa M. Lilly, author of the Awakening Supernatural Thriller series and the QC Davis Mysteries, and the founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. This Monday, we're talking about Season 1, Episode 11, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. In particular, I'll cover the excellent transitions from scene to scene, the intriguing themes the episode explores, the great dialogue lines, but what I see as a weak midpoint that undermines the story, and flashbacks, and whether or not they have a purpose here or are justified given that they slow down the present day story. Out of Mind, Out of Sight was written by Joss Whedon, Ashley Gable, and Thomas a. Swiden and directed by Riza Badil. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end so I can talk about foreshadowing, but I will give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. As we should, we begin with our initial conflict. Cordelia and her friend Harmony are talking and walking in the halls of Sunnydale, and this might be the first time that we get Harmony's name. I'm not positive on that, but it's noticeable because it's right at the beginning. Cordelia is talking about getting her dress specially made for the spring dance because Off the Rat gives her hives. And though she hasn't been elected May Queen yet, she is confident that she will be. Buffy coming from the side trips and falls right in front of Cordelia and Harmony and all her weapons spill out of her bag. She tries to explain saying it's for history class and Mr. Giles. Cordelia and Harmony make fun of her and walk away. Buffy is still on the floor as she watches them leave. And this is one of many times when Sarah Michelle Geller's expression is so clear and her eyes look so sad as she watches and listens to them make fun of her. This conflict is not our main plot, but it does foreshadow it. So we always want in the beginning of a story to have some kind of conflict to hook the reader or audience member. And it can be completely unrelated to the plot. It can start the main plot. Or, as here, it can reflect it or give us a hint of it. Doubling down on the theme of our episode, we switch to the classroom where a teacher is talking about Shylock. I had to look this up because I did not read Shakespeare's Merchant of Venice, so I didn't know that's where it came from. The teacher is asking about Shylock and the anger of the outcast in society. So this is a bit of an echo of that first scene where Buffy is the outcast and and sets up further our main plot about an outcast invisible girl. Cordelia says Shylock is too self-involved and argues that he is not seeking justice. And as I understand it based on my reading, this is an ongoing debate among critics um, whether Shylock was seeking, do we call it revenge? Do we call it justice? Is he the hero? Is he the antagonist? It is a compelling theme, but for whatever reason in this episode, it doesn't quite play out for me in a way that feels satisfying or that keeps my interest. I always remember the episode as one that I don't love and I thought perhaps as I went through it and analyzed it for the podcast that would change but I'm sorry to say it didn't really but I do try to dig into why that is. If you loved this episode please let me know what you loved about it and why. There are definitely things I think are amazing here as as always with Buffy. As a whole, though, it didn't quite come together for me. After class, the teacher tells Cordelia it's always exciting to know someone did the reading. And I'm sure when I first saw this, I was annoyed because Cordelia seemed to be expressing a somewhat shallow take on it, particularly because she compares it to when she ran over a girl just a little and the girl tried to make it all about her and her hurt 
leg instead of about Cordelia's trauma. Looking into it further, I can see how that conversation echoes the theme. And also because now I teach, I understand the teacher's comment more. I get that it's more that someone at least took the time to really read something and comment on it. And sometimes it can be really difficult to get students to do that. Cordelia asks for help with a paper that she has, and she and the teacher plan to meet the next day after class. We then see Cordelia and Harmony again walking in the hall. Cordelia tells Harmony her dress is ready and it's so great, Mitch is going to die. We cut to yet another dimly lit Sunnydale locker room, this time the boys' locker room. So it apparently they don't have any bigger budget than the girls do for light bulbs. And we see Mitch, who has just been mentioned. Given Cordelia's line, which links these two unrelated scenes, we think that he'll probably die. So no surprise when strange things happen. We hear a girl laughing, but we don't see her. And at 4 minutes, 30 seconds in, a baseball bat appears to rise by itself and start beating on Mitch. This is the inciting incident or story spark that gets our main plot rolling. And here it happened exactly where it should at 10% into the episode. So even if our initial conflict had not foreshadowed our main plot and was something unrelated, around 10% we would expect to see that spark or incident that puts our main plot in motion and we cut two credits. When we return, Cordelia is handing out candy with a C on it and asking for votes. She refuses to give Buffy one and says, oh, I don't think I need the loony fringe vote. Buffy is clearly hurt by this. It doesn't really help when Xander and Willow come up and start laughing about something Cordelia did in grade school that was similar, and they're laughing so hard they can't get out what happened, and they don't really need to because they keep setting each other off by just saying a few words. Buffy, though, doesn't get the in-jokes and now feels left out even with her two friends. Trying to offer some comfort, Xander says, what kind of moron would want to be May Queen anyway? And Buffy says, I was. And Xander tries to backpedal a bit. Buffy comments on how nice it was when she was queen and it was fun. And we get this wistfulness and maybe not wistfulness, but sadness again from Buffy at how now she is in this very different position. And while she doesn't say it, even with Xander and Willow, she's still a bit of an outsider because she hasn't gone to school with them their whole lives. I also feel like I need to comment this is 20 some years later so quite a few times in this episode we get language that I don't think we would hear now. Generally people aren't using the term moron to refer to anyone even the references to mental illness like the loony and the lunatic fringe and we'll hear some others. I'm using them only as quotes I'm not suggesting this is how we should talk. At 7 minutes 8 seconds in, we find out that Mitch is not dead after all, but he is badly beaten up. As he's being taken out on a stretcher, he tells Buffy what happened and that the bat moved by itself. We now get one of our quotes of the episode, one of my favorites. Snyder says, Principal Snyder, in case you weren't um, tuned in the last couple episodes. Snyder says, no dead students here this week. He then tries to keep Buffy from going into the locker room, saying she's always sticking her nose into things. And Willow and Xander distract him by talking about how Mitch's father might sue. In the still dim locker room, Buffy sees a message on the locker room doors. Look. We cut to Xander and Willow talking about this in the cafeteria and Giles joins them and he says that assuming the bat itself is not possessed, this could be telekinesis, an invisible creature, or an angry ghost. Willow is tasked with looking for missing or dead students, um, records of them. Giles asks Xander for help and we get another great candidate for quote of the episode. Xander says, what? So there's homework now? When did this happen? 
We switch to Cordelia. She's talking about how upset she is about Mitch because he's all black and blue and he'll look bad in the photos. We then get our first flashback. It is black and white and we see Cordelia and Harmony once again talking about Mitch. But in addition to the black and white, we know it's in the past because Cordelia is talking about how Mitch just broke up with someone else and he's already nosing around her. And we hear a girl off screen say, hi guys. And Cordelia turns and says, what do you want? Then in present day, we have her turn to look at Buffy because Buffy asks if she can talk to her and she gives Buffy that exact same look. Flashbacks, like dreams, can be tricky to use in fiction. The flashback happened in the past, so we are pulling the reader away from the main plot. Some writers really hate flashbacks. Some readers really hate them. I am not as opposed to them in principle. Sometimes it is a sign that the writer is lacking confidence. So rather than letting the audience figure it out and infer what's happening based on what's going on in the present, the writer is saying, hey, let me tell you about this thing that happened in the past. I feel like here is a good example of one, at least for me, that doesn't quite work because as the episode goes on, we can figure out that there is this girl who was ignored, who was an outcast, and is now trying to get back at Cordelia. And I feel like the parallels to Buffy, which maybe is what this flashback is partly for, have already been shown to us. We've already gotten that, that we don't know that that is going to um, be the driving force for the antagonist yet. I feel like I might have been more engaged with this episode if I needed to figure that out along with Buffy. I also think maybe the writers here were trying to add emotional weight so that we see through the antagonist's eyes As Cordelia and Harmony are being mean to Buffy, Harmony is hit by an invisible force. She falls down the stairs and is hurt. This is about 11 minutes, 20 seconds in, and we hear laughing. And this is the same laughing we heard in the locker room with Mitch, though, of course, Buffy didn't hear it then. This incident is our one-quarter turn in the plot. It comes about, I call it that because it comes about a quarter of the way through, though sometimes you'll see it a bit earlier or a bit later. Here it's about right on target. And it is the first major plot point and it generally um, comes from outside the protagonist. So here, nothing really to do with Buffy. Maybe her being there contributed to our antagonist's feelings, but for the most part, the antagonist has a grudge against Cordelia and has first gone after Mitch and now Harmony. This turns the story because it's the first time Buffy witnesses something Here's the laughter, and now she is beginning to track our antagonist, though not knowing who or what she is, but she is on the trail. She follows the laughter, and she ends up in the band room. She thinks she's following a ghost, but then the ghost bumps into her. She tries to talk to what she now thinks is probably an invisible girl, but gets no answer, and we have a commercial break. When we get back, we see two guys in black suits standing around the school. Nothing more than that right now with them. So I don't know that I noticed them the first time that I watched this episode or realized that they were significant. Buffy tells Giles what happened and because whatever it is bumped into her, they all conclude it is an invisible girl or maybe an invisible girl ghost. Xander says that's so cool, the power of invisibility, and he would use it to protect the girls locker room which is another one of those things that I hope now would not be thrown in there to be funny at the time I don't think Willow and Buffy and Giles could have loved that but it kind of gets glossed over not commented on they talk about Cordelia being the common denominator of Mitch and Harmony Xander and Willow walk away they're talking about ordering dinner and Buffy is with Giles and again looks a little sad as she watches her two friends who have known each other forever walk away she is going to uh, try to watch over Cordelia we see her that evening in the school hallways 
And she is watching through a window in a closed door, Cordelia and her friends getting ready for the dance, and they're laughing, and Cordelia's dress is very pretty. Little bit of an obvious metaphor for Buffy feeling like she is on the outside looking in, but I don't mind it. It seems fairly realistic, and it represents much of what Buffy's life is at Sunnydale. She is doing all these things to protect everybody, yet most of them are not her friends or don't even know she's doing it or like Cordelia perhaps um, think she's weird. But this is also why I don't necessarily think we needed that flashback to link Buffy with our antagonist to kind of hit us in the face with the idea that Cordelia is similarly mean to Buffy the way she was to the invisible girl. Buffy hears a flute playing and follows it again to the band room and we cut to Giles in the library and he also hears the flute. This is another nice thing thing that I admire in this episode despite that it doesn't quite work for me as a whole. I love the way these unrelated scenes are linked together. So here we have the flute and then we have Giles and at first I thought oh he's going to go follow the flute too but instead Angel comes to see him in the library and Giles is startled because he's looking into a pane of glass and seeing his own reflection. He doesn't see anyone next next to him, but then he turns and Angel is there. And Angel says, don't worry, something like, I didn't come here to eat. And Giles figures out this must be Angel, who he hasn't met before, but whom he has heard about from Buffy. Angel wants to help with defeating the Master, who is our season antagonist. We haven't seen him in this episode but this reminds us that he's around, also reminds us about Angel. And we get another great quote. Giles uh, sums up the central conflict in the season so far, the sort of romantic subplot. He says, a vampire in love with the Slayer. It's rather poetic in a maudlin sort of way. They talk about the master, and Giles says he wishes he had more volumes of Slayer prophecies. He's read everything that he can find but many are lost. And Angel says, no, he knows about one of them, a particular codex that was just misplaced, but he can get it. Giles mentions the invisible girl and says it's a wonderful power. Angel says he doesn't know about that. Um, Looking in the mirror and seeing nothing is an overrated pleasure. We get another flashback, black and white, and for the first time, we actually see Marcy, the invisible girl. We don't know her name yet, and she is looking in a mirror. So again, we have that link, the reference to the mirror, and then Marcy looking in the mirror. So it's another connection between these scenes. She is trying to take part in a conversation between Cordelia and Harmony. They are making fun of a speaker that just talked for uh, what they say is two hours and was so boring and Marcy throws in things about the man's toupee and they completely ignore her as if she is not there and Cordelia even repeats the comment about the toupee and everybody laughs. These two scenes encapsulate additional themes running through this episode. One is this difference and it's often a gender difference between this idea of the power of invisibility. You've probably probably heard about, you know, the question, um, if you could choose to be invisible or fly, which would it be? And I read uh, an article suggesting that women more often choose the power to fly because they already feel invisible. And it doesn't feel like a great power. It feels like a negative because it is so much harder to be heard in the workplace or in mixed groups or in many different situations. And I feel like we see this reflected in when Xander says, oh, cool, invisibility. And we see Willow look really troubled. And between Giles and Angel, we have this conversation where Giles says it's a wonderful power. And Angel, who in many ways is invisible, can't see himself in a mirror, skulks around, is outside society, is saying, no, you know what, it's it's not great. So 
you know, clearly it isn't only splitting along gender lines, but I found it interesting that we have this theme there, this idea of what it's like to be invisible. And that is doubled down where Marcy is talking and says something and then Cordelia says it and everybody laughs. And again, this reminds me of the cultural um, phenomenon that, that often happens, at least I've experienced it in business. I know many other women who have when everyone's talking and the woman advances a theory or an idea or a solution and everyone just keeps talking past it until a male colleague says the very same thing and then everyone listens. And here we see that happening with Marcy among a group of women, but it is the higher status women, Cordelia. Cordelia says something and everyone listens. So there are these themes about power and visibility and being ignored. And I really like that. And it's part of why I really want to like this episode. And yet I'm not sure we ever come to any real conclusion about this or say anything about it. This flashback doesn't really move our plot forward. Uh, It gives us the backstory about Marcy, which I feel like we could get through present day um, conversations. In fact, we'll have one soon about Marcy's yearbook. When we get back to our main plot, we are in the school's courtyard. Cordelia uh, is being applauded as the queen. She has been elected and she's giving a speech. And we're about 20 minutes into the episode, so we're moving toward its midpoint. Buffy and Xander, are off to the side and Willow has that list of dead or missing students. She also notices the two guys in black suits who are standing near the stage and asks if Cordelia has bodyguards now. Buffy notices that the most recent missing student, Marcy Ross, played the flute and she connects it to the flute that she heard and the band room. So this is the first time we have gotten Marcy's name. Buffy goes to the band room, sees a foot print on a chair and climbs up. She pushes a ceiling tile out of place and gets up into an overhead crawl space. She discovers that someone is living there and there are many things there, including a flute and a teddy bear. The camera angle tells us that Marcy is watching and it zooms in as Buffy looks at Marcy's yearbook. Buffy reads it and says, Marcy Ross, so it is you. And behind her, a knife is hanging in the air. Halfway through the episode, 22 minutes, uh, 42 seconds in. So I guess it's it's maybe a little more than halfway because the episodes are generally 42, 43 minutes in. But we have what I see as our midpoint commitment. I've talked about this before. You're probably tired of hearing it if you've listened to all the episodes. But for those who have not, at the midpoint, we will see either a major reversal for our protagonist or a major commitment. Our protagonist commits to the quest, throws all in. Um, Think if you've read or watched Gone with the Wind, Scarlett O'Hara, starving in her neighbor's garden, um, can't find any food and says, as God is my witness, I'll never be hungry again. And that is the literal midpoint of the movie, this vow by Scarlett. You can also have both a reversal and a commitment. Here I looked for what is our moment. Uh, We don't have a reversal for Buffy here. We do have her identifying Marcy for certain. I feel like the most we have in the way of a commitment is when Buffy takes that yearbook. So she doesn't just observe Marcy. She takes the yearbook and she climbs out. So she has put herself directly opposed to Marcy but this isn't a super strong commitment and I feel like it's another reason why perhaps this episode just doesn't grab me. Though I do like the yearbook and it is definitely key. Not long at all later in the episode we will see how the yearbook helps Buffy and her friends figure out what's going on and why. But the next scene we have is the teacher who was so kind to Cordelia. She looks 
wakes up thinking Cordelia has come to see her after class, and instead, the invisible Marcy laughs and puts a plastic bag over the teacher's head to suffocate her. Now Cordelia does walk in, she gets the bag off of the teacher, who does survive, and Marcy writes on the blackboard, all Cordelia and the teacher see is this chalk moving by itself, and it writes, listen and we cut to commercial. When we're back, Buffy is in the library showing Giles, Willow, and Xander the yearbook. And every single person has written, have a nice summer to Marcy. Giles thinks this seems like she has lots of friends, but everyone explains to him that this is the thing people say when they don't know anything about the person, don't remember them, don't care. Have a nice summer. Xander says it's the kiss of death. He and Willow both say they didn't know know Marcy and Buffy points out that they wrote it too although Willow I think said have a great summer they still think that maybe they never had classes with her didn't interact with her till she asked for the yearbook signatures but Willow finds out they had four classes with her and they um, realize that no one noticed her and she became invisible so this scene right here is part of what I'm talking about that I don't think we needed those scenes showing us flashbacks showing us what happened with Marcy because this pretty much fills us in as our characters figure it out. Giles says it's quantum mechanics. We get another great quote when Buffy says I think I speak for everyone here when I say huh? I was really surprised how many quotes I wrote down from this episode and it's another example of how an episode can still have so many amazing things in it and And it's why generally, you know, I keep saying, oh, it didn't grab me. I still pretty much enjoyed watching it. And when I rewatch Buffy, I always go ahead and and watch this one because there is a lot of great stuff in it, including these quotes. Giles elaborates on physics and quantum mechanics and how because people perceive Marcy as invisible, she became it with a little help from the Hellmouth. We then get another black and white flashback. In this one, the teacher is is same teacher calling on people Marcy keeps raising her hand teacher never calls on her she looks at her hand and um, you can see she's feeling very afraid and shaky as the hand gradually disappears I feel like I want to have this great sympathy for her at this point and yet it doesn't uh, really hit me emotionally that much maybe because we've already been told this Maybe because we don't know anything about Marcy other than that everyone ignored her. And I understand I don't know how you do that because who would tell us about her? Although Buffy does see some things that belong to Marcy up in that space and maybe we could have had her getting to know Marcy better or learning more about her as part of this story. But we don't really get that. And I I don't like to try to take apart a story based on, oh, I think the author should have done some other thing. You know, I want to look at the story as it is. So I'm just throwing that out there as maybe that would have been something that might have been more engaging for me. Obviously, it wasn't the way the writers decided to go with it. Xander is saying, well, what does Marcy want? And Buffy shows a marked up photo of Cordelia and says, yes, it's what they thought. It's Cordelia. At that moment, Cordelia walks in the door of the library. So another nice transition because these really are, though our characters stay in the same place, these are two different scenes. So this is a new scene. Cordelia first insults Buffy and her friends, uh, saying Buffy's weird and her friends are losers. But she wants Buffy's help and she thought Buffy might be in in a gang because of all those weapons and because she's always around when strange things happen. And remember, at the end of... Of our pilot Cordelia was she was talking about the vampires who broke into the bronze and she sang you know it was some kind of gang and Buffy knew them so we see this theme of Cordelia this is how she is making sense of Buffy and what she sees as the weirdness of Buffy and Cordelia says it's all about me 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 and Xander says for once she's right Buffy explains um, what is happening what they think Marcy is doing we hear Marcy ranting as Cordelia 
Cordelia insults her picture in the yearbook. And then we are back to Buffy, who says this might be about the May Queen. And Cordelia is determined to be crowned. She says, otherwise Marcy wins. And we get another great quote, uh, one of my favorite Cordelia quotes. She says, she's evil, okay? Way eviler than me. And they all kind of have to agree with her. And Buffy says, well, you know, this will be good. Cordelia will be bait. They'll use her as bait and draw Marcy out. And Cordelia says, am I really bait? She and Buffy are now walking uh, down the hall in the um, high school. And Cordelia is going to get her dress on and get ready for the dance. And they talk about loneliness. And Cordelia says she can be surrounded by people and be completely alone. And how people just want to be in the popular zone and they're so busy trying to agree with her or agreeing with her that they don't even hear what she's saying. And Buffy asks, okay, well then why do you try so hard to be popular? And we get another great quote. Cordelia says, it beats being alone all by yourself. Cordelia um, and Buffy find a broom closet or janitor's closet, which Buffy thinks will be safe for Cordelia to change in. And Cordelia goes in to change and Buffy stands outside. I'm not sure I buy that Buffy would stand outside rather than being in there with Cordelia. It seems a little short-sighted given that she knows that Marcy has been up in this space between the ceiling tiles and the ceiling. On the other hand, I guess she might think it's better to be outside and keep watch. Whatever the reason, we hear this flute music again. We see Xander and Giles and Willow trying to follow it. And we cut between them and Buffy and Cordelia. And Buffy is talking to Cordelia through the door about how she felt when she was popular and how sometimes she did feel something was missing. Cordelia is reacting more with uh, surprise and almost scorn. She can't believe Buffy was ever popular, or at least that's what she's saying. And Buffy has a great quote here too, something like, how about this heart to heart with a little less heart from you? But then there's... There are noises and Cordelia's muffled screams and Buffy has trouble getting in. The door has been locked. She breaks in, sees Cordelia's feet going through the ceiling. This conversation about popularity and aloneness seems to be yet another theme through the episode or an elaboration on our theme of the outcast where we're saying, okay, there's the outcast, but people who are um, surrounded by people can also feel lonely. And that's a, an interesting thing to explore, yet I don't know that we really explore it here. So while I love the quote and I love the conversation, I feel feel like it just isn't picked up on in the story itself. If you have other thoughts on that, I would love to hear them. I just am not seeing it. And it's not that everything our characters say or every theme we touch on in a story has to be played out in that story. You know, that would lead to the moral of the story is... I'm not looking for that, but I I feel like there are just quite a number of intriguing concepts in this episode that aren't really played out in the plot, and yet we spend all this time on these flashbacks. And maybe that, too, is part of what is not quite working here. We now have another change in direction, or or we just saw another change in direction with Marcy um, grabbing Cordelia, and that was about 33 minutes in, so it's roughly three quarters through the story and usually we see a plot turn there and it typically grows out of the protagonist's action at the midpoint or the reversal to the protagonist. So it shouldn't come um, unlike the first major plot point that comes from outside the protagonist. This one should grow organically from that midpoint and yet still spin the story in another direction. And we have that here with the combination of Marcy grabbing Cordelia but also Buffy because she knocks Buffy out, injects her with something, and ties up both Buffy and Cordelia in the 
the bronze to these thrones for the spring dance. And I feel like this does come from that midpoint because that is when Buffy took the yearbook when she invaded Marcy's space and that put her in Marcy's sights in a way that she hadn't been before. And Marcy will even tell us that she thought Buffy would understand because she had been seeing Buffy as a sort of sister outcast and then Buffy started opposing her. So this does grow from the midpoint and it takes the story in a new direction because now we're not hunting Marcy, we're in direct confrontation with her and Buffy is directly um, trying to protect Cordelia and stop Marcy. As Buffy wakes up, Cordelia is panicking. She can't feel her face. It's numb. The word learn is written on the wall. And Marcy is taunting them. She says Cordelia will be the lesson and that she's going to give Cordelia what she's always wanted. Everyone will look at her. And Marcy unveils a cart with a tray of scalpels and knives and surgical instruments. In between the Marcy and Buffy and Cordelia scenes, we get Giles and Willow and Xander. They have followed the flute thinking they're following Marcy, but it's a recording she made and it lures them into a room where they become trapped and the gas has been turned on and they will pass out and ultimately die if no one saves them. Buffy obviously can't save them because she is tied up, literally, and um, they can't help her. So we're cutting between them and they're talking about how crazy Marcy is, but they are unable to do anything about it because the gas is overcoming them. We see Buffy inching her fingers forward to get the scalpel as Cordelia is pleading with Marcy and arguing with her. Buffy gets the scalpel, saws away at the ropes while Marcy yells at Cordelia. She gets free, kicks, fights with the invisible Marcy. In the meantime, Angel has come to the school to bring the codex to Giles. And he finds our three friends and drags them out of the room, then goes back to turn off the gas because he doesn't need to breathe. This whole, I guess I would have to call it a subplot with Xander, Willow, and Giles tracking the flute, it too feels a little flat to me. We obviously needed a reason why they aren't there to help Buffy. So it gets them out of the way. It gives Angel something to do in the episode. Earlier in the season, I talked about how he would just show up, look good, and say cryptic things. So he does come and save the day, but it's just there's not that much to it. And even having him come to bring this codex, that is going to be important. I'll talk about it more in the spoilers. But it I don't know. Not that much is happening there. And again, we are stepping away from our main plot. Maybe it could have just been done more quickly because it didn't feel to me like it raised the tension very much to flip back and forth between the scene in the room with a gas leak and Marcy and Cordelia. For one thing, I just, there's no way that I believe that they're all going to die. Like, yes, Joss Whedon has set out that important characters can die, but there's no way I think he's going to wipe out three of our four main characters, or I guess of five if we count Angel. Buffy tells Marcy she used to feel sorry for her, but then she realized Marcy is a thundering loony. This is more language we probably wouldn't use today, but also not just the language. Even if we set that aside, it feels to me like not enough of an explanation for Marcy. Yes, we have the mystical slash science explanation of no one paid attention to her and she became invisible. That is heartbreaking. And yet we don't, at least I don't really feel that for her. And I think part of it is because the story dismisses her as, okay, and then she just went crazy. Well, she's isolated even more so. She's invisible. Like this would be terrible for anyone's mental health. And yet it's treated as, well, she's just crazy. You know, I had sympathy for you, but you're crazy. So now I don't. And that also doesn't feel authentic to Buffy to me because as I talked about last Monday, part of her power is her empathy for others and her ability even to help give them voice when she 
she basically gave Billy the words to stand up to his coach. I get it. She has to defeat Marcy. She's not going to let her uh, carve up Cordelia's face. But I feel like it's a, a real missed opportunity here to have a nuanced and, and complex antagonist. And maybe some of this is just that we we know the writers can do this. They do it so much and will do it so much throughout Buffy. And it's part of what I love about this show. But the realities of network TV is, as I understand it, often things go very fast. You have a plot and a storyline and you're set off to write it. And there isn't always the time to do everything you would like to do. So perhaps that's simply what happened here and we just just don't get as layered and as rich an antagonist and a story in this one-off episode as we get with many of our um, antagonists, particularly the season-long ones. But even some of them that are just for an episode, we sometimes see more. Or as in the puppet show, um, we don't really get much about the antagonist, but we get this very intriguing character in Sid. So back to Buffy fighting, Cordelia is screaming and crying and Buffy tells her to shut up. Buffy, up to that point, is kind of losing to Marcy, who's taunting her about how do you fight someone you can't see. But when Cordelia is silent, Buffy stands still and listens. And we have this nice moment with this breeze. I don't know where it's coming from, but this breeze like blowing Buffy's hair and it's sort of mystical around her. And she holds very still and listens. We hear something creaking and she turns and punches Marcy. Marcy becomes tangled up in uh, the the curtains for the stage and now Buffy can see her and fight her. So this is all part of the climax. I should have introduced that. Like the whole as Buffy is struggling to break free, to saw through that rope, that brings us into our climax and we get to this fight which is the big confrontation between the protagonist and antagonist. And then these two guys in black suits sweep in. They say that they are FBI and they'll take it from here. And Buffy says you can cure her. And they say they can rehabilitate Marcy. She'll be a useful member of society. And they refuse to answer when Buffy asks or uh, states, oh, this has happened to other kids. This climax also feels a bit unsatisfying to me. Yes, Buffy does defeat Marcy and she calls on something in addition to her physical strength to do it. So we even see a little bit of growth here that stillness and listening is important. Yet these two FBI guys coming in just, just feel strange, maybe because they're from a different kind of story. Till now, we are dealing, have been dealing mainly with the supernatural. Even when we brought in the robot, it was as part of this demon who is now in our present day world. Here, we have this intrusion of a government agency and law enforcement into what is normally a supernatural story. And we didn't get a, a lot of setup here. We did see these two guys around. So they're not completely out of the blue but it just feels a bit off to me and anticlimactic to just have them whisk Marcy away. We then go to the falling action part of the story. This is where we tie up loose ends or in this case untie Cordelia. We see Buffy and her friends together with Giles and uh, they fill her in on the flute and the gas leak but Giles stops them from telling her that Angel is the one who saved them. I think this is in deference to Angel saying it's too hard to be around Buffy and Giles knowing it's probably hard for Buffy as well so he must think better that he doesn't mention Angel's visit. And maybe he doesn't want to mention anything about the Codex until he looks into it. So he doesn't want to say why Angel was there. But I'm just guessing at that. Cordelia finds our group of four at the library and very sincerely 
thanks them. She doesn't just say thanks or thank you. She really talks about what they did for her and what it meant to her. Willow says, hey, we're just going to go get some lunch. Do you want to join us? And before Cordelia can answer, Mitch comes up and says, you're not hanging out with these losers. And Cordelia says, are you kidding? She was just helping them with their fashion problems. And of course, she's not joining that leper colony. And Xander says, where's an invisible girl when you need one? So all our plot threads have been resolved. And then we get what I see as an epilogue. And I've been thinking about epilogues because Shiromi Arsirio, who is the producer narrator of three of the books, um, the audiobook editions in my Awakening series, asked me after listening to my comments about prologues what I thought about epilogues because a number of books she's been narrating lately have very long epilogues. First, I had to look up the definition of epilogue. It's one of those things that, of course, I know what it is. I've seen it in books. I've even included them, although I can't remember if I ever actually labeled it epilogue. But when it comes to a definition, I had to resort to the dictionary. I think this is a pretty good one. Merriam-Webster online says an epilogue is a concluding section that rounds out the design of a literary work. Also, the final scene of a play that comments on or summarizes the main action. So here we have Invisible Marcy and the FBI bringing her into this classroom. I see this as an epilogue because it does somewhat comment on our main plot. And I guess you could say it rounds out the story in the sense that we knew the FBI took her away. We didn't know what was going to happen to her. I don't know that we needed to know because our protagonist's arc has resolved. Buffy did protect Cordelia. She did stop Mark. I guess I like that we at least see what happened to Marcy if we're going to bring in these FBI guys that otherwise don't seem to fit. So they bring her into a classroom. We see a teacher and all the students' desks, there are books open in front of them, but they are all invisible. And Marcy sits down, opens her book to the chapter on assassination and infiltration, and we hear her say, cool. I found this disturbing the first time I watched it and I continue to find it disturbing which I'm sure is the point. These government guys had been watching and watching and they didn't intervene when Marcy was doing any of these things. In fact, Buffy called them on that when they came in and they said, well, we came came in as soon as we could. Really? Because, yeah, they've been standing around. I guess you could say they were trying to figure out if this is what was going on. Now we find that they are wanting to weaponize Marcy and that there is no real attempt to help her mentally or emotionally, but just to use her. I also have a little trouble with it in terms of the episode as a whole, because how does this fit with any of those themes that we raised? Is the answer that the outcast becomes a weapon against society? You can certainly make an argument for that, that being an outcast, the way others treat someone can both be wrong and have these terrible consequences. But I I don't know if that is what the episode was trying to say or not. I mean, we have Buffy, who's something of an outcast, who nonetheless is putting her life on the line all the time to protect other people. And we haven't really explored what the difference between the two is. So I am sort of on the fence on this epilogue, much as I am with the entire episode. That is all until we get to the spoilers. But before I go into that... Thank you for listening this far. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, which I keep forgetting to say. It is a listener-supported podcast. If you want to support the show and help ensure it continues, you can do that through Patreon. Patrons at every level get a free PDF edition of my book, Super Simple Story Structure, a quick guide to plotting and writing your novel. And that goes in depth onto the plot points I've been talking about and how you apply them to your own story. You can also just visit Patreon and for free download a story structure template. If you have comments or questions about the show, you can email me, Lisa, L-I-S-A, at Lisa Lilly, L-I-L-L-Y.com, or tweet me at Lisa M as in Marie Lilly. 
And of course, I hope you will come back next Monday when we will talk about the season finale, episode 12, Prophecy Girl. Okay, we are back with spoilers. The major one is this codex that Angel says he will get and Giles talking about the prophecies about the Slayers. This is done so quickly and almost feels like an aside in this episode. It feels like it's just an excuse to get Angel into the episode and to remind us about the master. But that codex will have the prophecy that drives the entire finale that by Buffy will face the master and she will die. Part of me wants to say this scene didn't need to be in this episode. It felt kind of shoehorned in that we could have just put it in episode 12, Prophecy Girl. Then I thought about it and I suspect the authors wanted to do this earlier so that when we get to Prophecy Girl, we feel like Giles has been studying the Codex because in no way do we want to feel like Giles leaps to the conclusion that Buffy is going to die. So he needs to have time to really study this Codex, to cross-reference, to be in a place where he is very authoritative and very certain about this prophecy. So I think that's probably why we get it in this episode. And maybe the reason partly for the whole gas leak, in addition to getting Willow and Xander and Giles in a place where they can't help Buffy, is to kind of obscure the importance of that codex. I still would have liked to have seen seen Angel come in for maybe another reason, but it's it's intriguing as it is because we have set up now this idea that there are these prophecies about the Slayer. There is some foreshadowing for the entire series here when we see Buffy holding still and listening. This is part of her training and we will see over the course of the series that she develops more and more of this sort of in inner calm, this connection to everything, this kind of zen-like approach. And she doesn't focus on that all that much. Here and there we see it. And then in season five, she really doubles down on it when she is dedicated to truly studying and learning about being a slayer and wanting to give herself the best possible chance to survive. And we will see her, you know, working with crystals and meditating and doing a handstand on one hand and concentrating. So this was a nice little bit of foreshadowing for that aspect of being a slayer. We also have some pretty heavy season four foreshadowing. I said we aren't used to seeing government agencies and Buffy. And I talked about the idea of weaponizing the supernatural here, weaponizing our antagonist. And in season four, we will see an entire arc where we have the initiative, this, um, I think it's a branch of the army, it's a branch of the military that is all about studying demons and modifying their behavior, but a segment of the military wants to use them as weapons. Now here we have a girl being used as a weapon in total disregard to her mental health. The initiative will be focusing on vampires and demons, not humans. So in some ways, I feel like they're not quite as bad as the FBI is depicted here. But it does definitely give us a little hint of that to come. Now whether that was already a plan that there was going to be this story arc, I don't know. But it is interesting to me that so early on we see a bit of this concept that perhaps there are people in government who are aware of all this going on and who want to use it. That is it for the spoilers. Thank you again for listening and I hope you will join me next week on Monday evening for Prophecy Girl, the finale of season one.